Hey, this is Stephen Jolly, host of Melbourne Calling. Welcome to episode seven, interviewing Stacey and Ben, recently released prisoners from the Melbourne prison system. Their story is funny, it's fascinating, it's sad, it's tragic, and it's inspiring. Most of all, it's inspiring. This is by far my favorite episode, and I really, really hope you enjoy it. Please like, please subscribe, please spread this message because it really has to be heard. What the prison system is like in Victoria in 2021, I think it's going to be a surprise to many people that live in this state. Thanks, enjoy. Hey, welcome Stacey, Ben, to episode seven of Melbourne Calling. Thanks for coming down. Uh, tonight's, tonight's episode is about life in jail in Melbourne. Stacey and Ben have both been inside. We're going to hear about their experiences, but I just want to put a bit of context in it because it seems like Australia's got a love affair with imprisonment at the moment. We, our imprisonment rate in Australia now is higher than India, Indonesia, and even China. And it's increased by three and a half times the rate of imprisonment in, in Victoria since the 1970s. You are two of the 8,000 Victorians that are in 15 jails around this state. Another 500 in juvenile justice, a lot of people, and it's getting higher. So, you know, if viewers think that's good or if that's bad, the fact of the matter is, is more and more people are gonna go through what you went through. So for those people who are about to go to jail or maybe going to jail in the future, and for those people who are just curious, um, let's go through it right from the start. So maybe Stacey, let's start with you. So what, what were you in for and how long were you inside? Uh, I was in for fraud. So uh, technically obtained financial advantage by deception for 218 charges. And how long were you inside for? Two and a half years. So the day that you were sentenced, I mean, that's probably a day you'll never forget for the rest of your life. Like, so you're standing in front of a judge, I imagine you were standing. Yeah. And what was going through your head? Were you thinking, those bastards, I shouldn't be here? Or were you blaming yourself for getting into that situation? What, what actually was going through your head as the judge was sentencing you? I was devastated. I talked it up to myself for the last 12 months. I knew for 12 months that I was going to be going to prison. That's, it takes a long time to go through the court system. Um, my lawyer had said to me 12 months out, from the sentencing, she said, you are going to prison. I don't know how long for. It's my job to minimise that impact. Um, so I'd kind of said, yep, yeah, I'll be prepared. I'll do everything I can to prepare myself, my family, make sure that everything is smooth sailing. And then when I go in, it'll just be a case of doing my time and coming back out. It wasn't like that at all. I was standing in front of the judge and I was a mess. I was bawling my eyes out. I was- Were your family there? No, no one. I didn't want anyone there. Yeah. What court was it in? County court. Yeah. Um, and how did you prepare? Like, did you make connections with anyone that you knew was in women's prison? I have never known anyone to be in jail. So for so me... You were a novice. Absolute black canvas. I couldn't even find any information. I Googled, I called every service that I could trying to get some information on what I was in so for. Um, I couldn't find anything. It's such a, it's just a deep dark web and only people who've been there or people who know people who've been there can give any insight into it. And I didn't know anyone. So yeah. all the Googling in the world didn't help me. I watched Wentworth, I watched Orange is the New Black. <laughs> yeah. I did everything I could to try and give myself a bit of a pep talk of, okay, this is what I'm in for. Um, I'm a pretty strong person anyway. So I figure as much preparation as I give myself, I can usually get through anything, but I had no idea what I was in for. We'll just ask Ben what your experience was on that same day when you, what were you up for and how long did you serve? First uh, I was up for attempting to possess $3 million worth of drugs from overseas. Um, I was sentenced to eight and a half years with five and a half on the bottom. And you said that you did five and a half? Did five and a half. Yeah. yeah. So what was going through your head when you were standing in front of the judge? I didn't want to show emotion. 
Um, guys were a bit different to, to the girls. Um, and when he sentenced me to sort of eight and a half years, I just... Were you expecting that? I thought I was going to get out because I went to trial. Um, so it was a two-week trial and probably 12 hours deliberation in the jury. And they came back found me guilty on all charges and you deal with it then. So Stacey was expecting a jail sentence. Her lawyer had said that that was a possible probability. You were, was it different for uh, you? Some, you always hope for the best. Like you go to trial and think it's going to be all good, you know, this and that. But at the end of the day, I got found guilty. And from that day, it was actually a little bit of a relief because you know there's light at the end of the tunnel. Where I was on remand for a year and a half and that whole year and a half, you don't know. The uncertainty, you just don't know what's happening. But as soon as I got sentenced, it was a shock and I thought, fuck, you know what I'm going to do. But Did you have family in court? No. Nah. Friends? I didn't want them. Same so you just Stacey. kept a straight face, you just stayed strong. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So Stacey, when they, when they sentenced you, this is like a really stupid question, but um, you see it on the TV, the door opens, two prison wardens take you away or whatever it might be, the door shuts. What happens right then? Do you, do you walk upstairs? Do you walk downstairs? What, what, do they, what happens to you after you've been sentenced? Uh, you walk down a corridor into a lift and then they take you to another floor um, where there's cells. But they take you up to a desk first to be processed. So you've got to empty out anything in your pockets, hand, like hand over, anything like that. Do they abuse you or is it more clinical? Like they just do it every day. It's just a job for them. They're quite nice, yeah. really. Um, I found all in all with officers generally, they will treat you how you treat them. So for someone like me, I don't have any reason to be... Um, rude or, or abusive towards them. Um, I did find once I was in prison though, there were officers who were just assholes just to be assholes because I was wearing a tracksuit and they weren't, um, no matter how nice you were. Um, but straight off the bat, they were quite nice. They could see I was in obviously a bit of shock. Um, but it was very, once we got down to- Because the... they process dozens a day. Yeah, yeah. It's like a job. Yeah, and once we got down to the strip search, it was all business. <laughs> and were you taken straight to the prison? Which, like after that process at the... At the well, yeah, I was sentenced, um, my sentencing finished about 1.30 in the afternoon yeah. um, and I got to the jail about six o'clock at night. So I was sitting in a cell for quite some time. Were you on your own in the cell or with someone else? Yeah, I was on my own. So what was that like? Um, oh, I probably have never felt more alone in my life, really. You're in a concrete box with just a window in front of you and you just see officers. It was a quiet day in court. Um, there was not many other cases on that day. Um, so there was only, I think, two other people in other cells. So this is in the, in the, in the, in the court, in the magistrates or the county court? County court. So you were then later that afternoon taken to prison? Yeah, yeah. loaded up in the van. How is that different from your perspective? Like the cell different or big? Uh, it, it was dark, it was raining, it was cold. Um, I was taken in and processed, that takes a long time. And then they put you in a medical cell for a couple of hours to observe you. In case you're suicidal or something. Yeah, and they want to get to the bottom of, are you withdrawing from drugs or anything like that? Um, and they're, they're not very nice. They just... They're just in the prison? Yeah, once you're in the prison, yeah. Were you on your own or were you with another prisoner? I was on my own. So they keep everybody separated initially. I know it's probably different in the men's system, but in the women's system, they've got the space to do that. So they keep everybody separated because they don't know who's dangerous, who's coming yeah. off drugs, who's this, who's that, what you've got on you, that kind of thing. Um, so you pretty much don't have contact with other prisoners um, for 24 hours. And what about for men? What happened to you as you were, you were sentenced, the door opens, you're taken away. Just talk us through what happened after I, that. I was already on remand for a year and a half before my trial, so I was waiting a trial. So the day I got found guilty, 
take you downstairs, they just put you in a cell with all the other guys. And then you wait to go back to prison. They put you on a bus to go back to prison. But you would have been in the remand. They wouldn't have brought you back to remand. They would have put you into a proper prison after that, because you? you're no longer on remand. Did yeah. you got your assessments? Oh, you're still on remand until your actual sentencing. So when okay. I got found guilty, there's another few weeks until the actual sentence comes down. So when you got found guilty and you, got, you were up until then in the remand centre, then after that you yeah. got to assessment, is that right? Yeah, you, you, you'll go to a prison somewhere or you'll stay where you are. You'll just move, move yards from the remand yard to the sentence yard. Is there much difference between remand and prison? No. Yeah. Were you put in a cell on your own or with someone else? No, at the start you're always someone else, especially the men's prison, so jam-packed. So the first time you went into a jail cell with someone else, a prison cell, whether yeah. that was in remand or in prison itself, yeah. like, what was the first conversation you had? Like, it would have been... You just try to suss people out, find out what their name is, you know, if they're, what they're about. you just got to be very guess... wary on people and sort of, yeah, so know who people it, are. Is there a balance between not being a dickhead and getting bashed versus... 100%. Not being seen as soft. Many, you can't ask too many questions. If you ask too many questions, it seems like you're trying to pry too much, or you don't ask someone what they're in for when you've just been sort of locked up with them. You just general conversation, what their name is, how you're going, where they're from. Just you don't even talk about sentencing or time or what they're in for until you get to know them a bit better. So how do people suss each other out in men's prisons? Like, well, things like that. If someone asks too many questions, what you're in for, or where you know, too many personal questions, it, it looks like you're prying. What would your advice be to a new anyone listening tonight who's about to go to jail in terms of the first few days in jail? In Keep prison? yourself, be polite, be respectful, and just don't, don't be nosy. Don't get into other people's business if you don't have to. Stay, stay to yourself until you figure out your surroundings. Yeah. You'll be very wary. What was the food like? Oh, shit. I didn't eat for days. <laughs> yeah, I didn't what do you mean? Shit, just, just describe. Oh, look, I was really fit and healthy beforehand. I was, I was an athlete. I used to do marathon running and stuff. So I, I didn't eat carbs. I didn't eat sugar. I didn't eat processed food. Give me a big fat tub of what looked like mashed potato and some slop on the side. I was, no, I'm not going to eat that. So the mashed potato was like, um, like powder potato. I, guess. I would imagine, yeah. And the, what was the slop exactly? Like some meaty substance with sauce. Was there vegetables? No. No, vegetables are hard to come by in prison. Very hard to come by. Especially women's prison. Yeah, you can have... Is the food worse in women's prison than men's prison? Oh, they just carb load them. I think it's so we don't try and jump over the fence. <laughs> they just and want it, everyone to get fat. It's cheap. All the meats, just all the fatty, gristly parts. Yeah. Can you buy food in jail? Like Canteen food, but you wouldn't want it. So the canteen list is chips, chocolate, lollies. Um, but you can't buy food. So when you moved into an open unit... Um, you're in almost a house. So you're in a house with nine other women, so there's 10 people. Um, and then you've got a food budget of $42 per person per week. You don't get that money, but you're given a list and you can tick off $42 worth of food off that list to cook for yourself. Yeah. It doesn't go very far. And that's three meals get, a day. Yeah, three meals a day. So, and including your milk and bread and whatever else. Um, so, for example, you can only buy meat in bulk. So if you buy a kilo of meat, it's $25. You got $42 for a week. <laughs> and vegetables are at higher than market price. So, say a kilo of broccoli was about $7, and a kilo of, you have to buy a kilo of Up everything. Up to 13, 14 at one yeah. stage. You couldn't buy small amounts, you had to buy a kilo of everything. So, you, one week you'd buy a kilo of broccoli, a kilo of potatoes, and a kilo of meat, and you'd be done. You couldn't buy anything else. So, if there's nine of you in a unit, how do you, do you like democratically decide it? Somebody, if somebody's like stronger than the others, can they just bully the others and say, look, I'm into like shit food and I want this? And you, you might be a small person physically 
in. You, you know, how do you work that out? Everyone has their own budget. So the way the prison oh, okay. wants it, they encourage women to go, a whole unit gets a budget of $176 or whatever it is. You should all shop together. That's how you should do it. But you just can't because you've got people who can't eat this and can't eat that. You've got people who live on meagre noodles. You've got people who only eat sausage rolls, people who won't eat sausage rolls. So you just can't, there's no way that you can do it. Um, then you've got, you know, your vegetarians and your vegans and your halal and all that kind of stuff. So you just have to work on your own budget and try to make it work for you, really. But after a period of time, you can choose who you want in to live with you. So you can pick and you certain budget, people and yeah. then you, yeah, you get okay. a good house together and you've got five or six good guys that you're all training, you're all fit, you want to eat the same food and you put it in together and you get, get bulk. So is the food different in men's prisons, you reckon? It's, it's no, so it's the same. That might be a bit better. It's the same. Yeah. The, the, the government give them two or three dollars per prisoner per day to feed us. So. I met a guy that was in jail recently, he came out and he said he was eating so much starch, he, he, you know, he just ended up like a pig. Yeah. And there's other people that come out of jail and they look like, like unbelievably fit. Yeah. So is that because of... Later on, as you, as you go through your sentence, the closer you get to your end date, you move to easier prisons. And then you get better budgets, you, you can spend more money, you can order different meats and chickens and it's a, it's a lot, lot healthier as you get on. But when your first initial few years, you're eating slop. So, so if you move in, if you go to jail and you don't work, you get the 42 bucks a week for no. your food? You don't. No, that's, you have to that, work for that's it. later on. Like the, the, bud, the budget. Yeah, when, yeah. when you're in open unit. If you're in a lockdown cell, you get the kitchen food, which is they make big batches and yeah. send them all out in plastic containers. If you don't work, you get $7 a week. They give you. So you, you've got, do you have to work or you, that's the voluntary thing? Like you have to work. At, in the women's prison, you must work. So if you can't get a decent job in horticulture or something like that, um, or peer worker, then you have to go to industries and make the uniforms. So they make the uniforms for the men's prisons. So sewing. Yeah. Um, they also untangle headphones for Qantas. I, was, I saw that, that they 82 cents an hour for packing headsets and mini packages. For that Qantas. might be what they pay the prison, but the women don't get paid. Everyone gets paid seven dollars. Top dollars. Yeah. Seven ninety five. Guys was eight ninety five. That's top top. Like seven ninety five an hour. Seven ninety five a day. Pay. I just wanted to get to clarify that. Yeah. And that's your phone money. So don't you know? Don't think that we're like living it up and buying shoes. We're going, that's your phone money. So you get. 7.95 a day or you know 8.95 a day whatever you're on there's three levels then you need to you get paid weekly so usually in a week you get 28.95 is the general pay for the week that's your phone money and phones are expensive so it's very expensive $1.50 per minute to call a mobile um, and landlines are I think 30 cents for the 10 minute phone call but who's got a landline these days everyone's got a mobile so to keep in touch with your family on a regular basis, you're spending, it's $9 for a 10 minute phone call, basically. But they say 50% of Victorian prisoners are either physically or mentally disabled. So I guess some people just can't work because they're so fucked up they'll in get, the head. They'll, or they'll, get, they'll get put on medical. They'll get 20 or $30 a week. So they, they, they don't, get, don't go too far. Behind. One of the people we've had on this show before was Tim Gurney, he's one of the richest men in Melbourne. He's worth $670 million. Just imagine he went to jail tomorrow. Wouldn't his wife just put Hundred thousand dollars a day into is no, there a, no, no. Is it one hundred forty dollars a month? Is the limit? Yep. Is the limit that you okay. can have from out? That way, no one can sort of no one's better than anyone else. You get that per month. That's it, and that yeah. that involves everything: your phone, your food, everything. Special spends if you want Runners. shoes or clothes, extra clothes. You got to take it out of that money. So you can buy clothes in jail. Or socks, jocks, but it's all expensive. Shoes, yeah. but they're expensive. Shoes, socks, and jocks, and things like you can buy a CD player. You can buy some CDs. Um, you can buy headphones and a little Walkman so you can go and exercise outside, um, stuff like that. It's expensive. They source it from one or two 
buyers. So it's really expensive and you've got to save up money to do that. And if you buy one of those things, there's your whole month spend gone. So you can't yeah, buy anything right, for okay. the whole month. So what's the goal with exercise? <coughs> access to equipment, exercise equipment. I mean, the, the well, myth the is that- the men's jail is amazing because they have this thing where- What, Barwin or all of them? All of them. They prioritise exercise. So they have, the men can exercise anywhere. It might not be good, but at least it's equipment. We don't, we didn't have a gym. We had a gym and they shut it down. <laughs> and then that was it, that's it. So there's no exercise equipment in women's prison at all? There's two broken treadmills. That's unbelievable. Yeah. God, that's really... Uh, that's maximum security. When you go to the farm, they've got a gym there, but maximum security not. Gee, and, and what about obviously men's prison stations? Maximum security in a unit of maybe a hundred people. There's just a little workstation with maybe a lap pull down or something but it's all old, it's all rusty, it's, you just do body weight, push-ups, chin-ups, dips, stuff that you don't need. What about visits, visitations? Like, how does that work? I mean, you have a list that you put X number of people on that, is that right? There's only a certain amount of people you're allowed to have on. You could have names, addresses, phone numbers, maybe, I think it's eight or 10 people. Is there a day, every day they can come or just one no. day? Where, where I was, it was just Saturdays and Sundays. Um, and they've got to be on your list, all their details have to be there and like, yeah, same what as prison fine. were you at? I was at Fulham for three years down in Sale. I was at uh, Beechworth and then Port Phillip Maximum for the and last six months. What about you with, 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 with visits? Oh, we, you can have one weekday visit and one weekend visit. Um, there's only two days a week that you can have visits, so Mondays and Wednesdays, or there's Saturdays and Sundays, but you can only have one of those. So. Um, for example, Sundays are for kids' visits. So if your kids are under 15, they can come in on their own and it's a four-hour visit. But if you have that visit, you can't have the Saturday visit with family or anything like that. Um, the visits are two hours long, but you don't get two hours. So they start the two hours from when your visitors get there. They have to be processed on their end, put everything in the locker, sign in, wait for you to be processed, strip search, put in a jumpsuit that's cable tied at the back and then brought in. So by the time your visitors get in, you've got probably just over an hour with them. Right, okay. Before they have to go. And do they have conjugal visits where people can have sex with each other? You're saying no, you're saying yes, Guys, so maybe yeah. you start first. Yeah. Um, well, one of the prisons I did, they, or both, there was two prisons I went to, they did, um, but you had to be doing a minimum of three years prison sentence, and you had to be 18 months or halfway through that sentence to be eligible. And, and you had, had to, to be, be someone married to that person or in a relationship? De facto, you had to prove a relationship know. for a year before you got locked up. So a de facto or, or a... How do you prove that? Phone bills, phone record, like it's a pretty strenuous process you've got to go through. Yeah, really. Immigration, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and in women's prisons, not, they're not, not that at all? No, not at the main prison. There is a farm that you can go to. And if, you're in, if you've got a sentence of longer than 10 years and you're in your last two years of your sentence and it's a spouse, then you can have... Or just with the male else. officers. Mm. Yeah, well, that happens too. That's, that's not technically permitted. No, no, they don't. They Look, they frown upon it, <laughs> but it happens. But, but in terms of legal conjugal visits, men have a better system than women. That's like, it's pretty weird, isn't it? Like it's mm. for a progressive state like Victoria that claims to it's be- It's very rare that people everyone. get granted the conjugals because it's very hard to, to get. But say someone's been married for 10 years to someone and they're doing a 10 year sentence, it's, it's pretty easy for them to get it because they can prove the relationship and they've got a long time and it keeps, so, keeps them happy, I guess. Did you, did you have any opportunity <coughs> to study? Like are, you guys are prisoners generally to study, like to do an apprenticeship very or a hard. diploma or anything like that? Yes, yeah, so hard. Very hard, Maybe, but ben? if, you, if you, push, uh, you push and push and like you're doing a few years, they can see that you want to do it. And I did IT and business and little things that, everything that come up I, I tried to do, but maybe two out of 10 I got to do. 
What about you, yeah. Stacey? Look, they have education department and they offer basic education. So you can do your year 10 equivalent. If you've got a university degree already or a high school degree already, you, you, there's nothing there for you. It's all people who don't know how to read and write go and do these things. If you want to do anything more longer term, they've got one place every 12 months for a capacity of 500 women, one person, and you must be doing a long sentence and you have to be in the end of your sentence as well. So there's so many things that you have to tick the box. Um, and you had to have done, you know, past high school and all this stuff before you can do it. So one place every, every year for a person to take on study because they have to do, you can't do anything yourself because it's online. So you just say you're doing an online university course. We're not allowed to touch anything that has internet or phone access or anything. So when you're doing the exams and the assessments, the education person has to do it for you while you sit there and tell them what to put down. So there's, you're not touching it at all. So they don't have the facilities or the staff to be able to have more than one person in a year doing that because it's equivalent of two hours a day that they have to sit with you to do. It's such a wasted opportunity. People are in 100%. There, yeah. there was someone doing distance ed where I was, but then they found out six months later he was rorting the system, so they booted him and stopped it all forever. All you always got to get a bit of that. You get that anywhere. You get that out of jail. Yeah, but this it. was an outside person that came in to help oh, the see prisoners. Oh, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And he was getting paid to sign prisoners up, and he was just signing everyone up, and he fucked it for everyone. Do, do, you, do you guys have a caseworker? Um, or do, do all prisoners, or just some yeah. prisoners get caseworkers? Yeah. Ben, to start with? They do. When, when you first get there, you think it's pretty organised. Like, they'll call you in the office, you get all your details, a little bit about you and what you want to do and where you want to go. And that's it. You've got, to, you've got to chase them. You've got to be on their back just for little things and mm -hmm. there's always change of staff and it just, I think it's duty of care at the start and they just tick a box to say, yep, we've done it, we've found out about them and mentally they're all right and they want to do this. It's a good, good plan, it looks good on paper, but that's all they do. Yeah, so they can move you through the system. But the shit thing is, if you want anything, if you need something approved, like, oh, my family's coming from interstate, we want to have a longer visit or something like that, you need to get approval from your caseworker and most of the time you can't even track them down. Oh, that person's on leave for three months or that person's moved to another prison on a secondment, like, and your file's just sitting there waiting for that person to come back. So it's, they, I use the word caseworker very loosely. Yeah. Until you get into trouble, then they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're straight on the quick. Yeah. quick. How do you mean? Like if something happens or you get in a fight or there's something, another officer, an incident, your caseworker comes straight away. Like, yeah anything like that, but to help you to progress, they don't give a fuck, they don't care. A few years ago, um, Victoria banned cigarette smoking in jails. <clears throat> I mean, is there areas in, 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 um, in, in jail that you can smoke? It's just like a total ban. Total I was ban. really surprised there wasn't friggin' riots about that. Well, mate, mean, there was, yeah. There was, yeah. Talk yeah. me through that. Like, were you in jail when that happened? I got were you in prison? Just after it happened. Okay, so what, how, did, how does that work? Because I can't, I can't imagine. They made him go cold, well. cold turkey. They sort of told him, you know, two weeks, we're banning smoking altogether instead of telling them, look, over the next three months, we're going to slow down smoking, we're going to stop sales, so just prepare yourself and do what you have to do to try to get off smoking. But apparently, they just, they just stopped it on the spot. So the prisoners lost it. And, uh, were there patches given to prisoners or any help? It was just... when, you, when you first come in, you, you go on a patch program and they give you one patch a day and you've got to take it off. You've got to go show the officer the patch. They give you another one, but that only lasted for a little while. And, and patch is a hot commodity. Big money. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyone who's new is expected to get a patch whether you smoked or not.
with you. They yeah. just come and hassle you the minute you're out in the yard and go, where's your patch, where's your patch? And you go, yeah, I don't, I don't smoke. And they're like, why didn't you get a patch? I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, well, that's a good advice for anyone in jail. Get your patch, you can trade it. No, don't get a patch. It just, there's nothing to trouble because you, oh, okay. those people own you then for the whole time that you're on that program. People get bashed, stabbed, everything just for patches. Yeah, just for patches. Because they take the glue off the back of them, roll it up and smoke it. In the tea bag. Yeah. So how can, if they're not allowed, sorry to ask a stupid question, but if you're not allowed to smoke, how can they smoke the patches? The Bibles. These Bible for rolly paper. And, and toilet tissue. If the wardens can police smo stopping smoking, how, can't they, how come they can't police stopping Ill illicit smoking of To be patches? jail, people hide. Yeah, it's yeah. And do, 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 can they smuggle cigarettes in then, for example? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they are worth a fortune. You pay 30 bucks for one cigarette. $30 for one yeah. cigarette. And it's a roller usually because someone's only been able to get in tobacco. Is that the same in men's prison? Yeah, pretty much. Probably more money. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about drugs, illicit drugs in jail. I mean, obviously, it's, everyone knows that people inside jail have got access to drugs. How, I mean, I'm not going to ask you how it gets in there, but like, just in terms of once it gets in, how does that all, how does that all work? Is, that, is, there, is it, is it centralised? Is, is, is it worked through gangs? Is it just like whoever the look the draw, who gets it? Everyone. How many people, is it, how hard is it to get access to drugs in jail? Oh, it's pretty easy if you want it. Yeah? So what are the most popular drugs in the women's prison? Let's start with that. Oh, well, bupe is a massive problem. Um, so that's a substitute they use for people who are coming down off um, uh, heroin. heroin and stuff like that. Um, they melt it down and inject it. Um, or ice is what they get in. So, um, and that comes through visitations yeah, or whatever. Yeah, heroin as well. Well, it comes in all different ways. And officers usually are the ones who bring in the big quantities. So, I mean, when they say that someone's got a quarter of a quarter of ice, you know that hasn't come in inside somebody. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's a bit of a... It's a lot easier for a warden to bring it in than a, oh, than yeah, a visitor. Oh, yeah, And the, look, the Asians, they're happy to pay. They've got people on the outside that'll catch them up on the... Outside. So they're paid outside? Yeah, yeah, they're all, they it's all sorted Europe. out, yeah. yeah. Um, or then you, you do get people who just come in and bring it in. Or there's people who organise people to come in. So there's people who will literally go and just, you know, stand out and bash someone, wait for the cops to come because they're banked. They're waiting to go in and they're expecting to be in for a couple of weeks. So marijuana is smelly, so would that be harder to, to oh, use in jail? Or? It is. It comes in a little bit. Not, people don't often want dope. Yeah, they want it's something not, stronger. They want something stronger than that. When it comes in, it's all a bit of a shit and giggle. It's like, oh, guess what? We've got a joint, guys. Like, and someone goes, oh, who brought that in? Like, it's, just, it's really rare to get that because no one really cares about that when you've got so many other things that you can spit swap and get people's, you know, suboxone and ugh. Yeah, I get you. And what about it in men's prison with, with drugs? Is it the same, same, same thing? Same, yeah. 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 It's pretty, so it's pretty rampant. with sex in jail, like sex between <coughs> prisoners and wardens. Um, and and pri other. prisoners and prisoners? With, with each other. I, mean, I was watching Sopranos the other day and um, um, Tony's talking to, the, to a shrink about popping one of his capos, Vito, who's gay. <laughs> and she goes to him, but uh, you know, I, I know you guys don't like gay guys and, and I can understand why you want to shoot him, but in jail, you guys all fuck each other. Could, and he goes, oh, we get a pass in jail. We get a pass in jail. This is they? I want to know. I've I'm never just interested. Is that bullshit? That I, mean, I never took the pass. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. But did you see much? Just let's start. We'll go through all the different types he, of sex. There's a, few, there's a few pirates. Yeah. There's always people in there pumping. I mean, if you were in jail for 30 years, yeah. like you got to, you nah. know, I mean, nah. you got to do something. How's it? I mean, if, okay, let me ask you another question. You're in jail with, with another male mm. and you get horny and you want right. to masturbate and you're on a bed and he's underneath. 
I mean, that would be really embarrassing, wouldn't it? Like, I don't mean... It, there's, a, you, there's a time and place. Yeah. It's, it's disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. So is, did you see much sex between... I mean, is there female prison wardens in the yeah, men's prison? Yeah, yeah, like, how does, Well, it's commonly known, like, so I'm not giving away in secrets, but a few officers did get sacked for, for pumping uh, male prisoners, yeah. Yeah. And in the female prison system? Absolutely. Yeah, look, the girls are all getting it off with each other. Um, that's, you know, they call it gate gay or gay for the stay. And they're not allowed whole vegetables in women's prisons either. Yeah. It's all got to be cut up because they... <laughs> is that a joke? No, it's not, not serious. That is not true. Yeah. Fair enough. So I'm a bit dogged. I'm Irish, you've got to be <laughs> Everything, no, Everything's no, pre-cut. There's, I mean, you've got to think, a lot of these girls are damaged. They're broken. They are codependent. They need someone and they're in jail for a period of time. And there is, there's girls in there who are lesbian. There's girls in there who are bisexual. There's girls in there who just want someone to care about them and to love them and to want them. And they're, you know, it's, it's very few and far between that you don't jump the fence for that because it's, it's just out. Like everyone's got a girlfriend. I'd probably jump the fence if I was in a women's prison. So, <laughs> so um, this is something to me about gangs in jail. Um, so let's start with the women's prison. Is that just a men thing or are there different, um, I mean, I mean, there's a gang and then there's just people who just hang out together. That outsiders might call a gang, might not necessarily be a gang. I mean, talk Women's prison's that. not like the guys. It's not like gangs who you have to be scared of. It's like a schoolyard of bitchy women. It's psychological warfare. It really is. So they will bully someone to the point where they want to kill themselves. They will bully, they will intimidate, they will laugh at, they'll exclude, they'll hide their food, they'll hide their clothes. Like, it's just psychological warfare. Occasionally there is violence, it does happen, but it's usually from outside. So if someone's come in and they've dogged someone or they've got a beef with someone from the outside or you've slept with me bloke when you got out or something, it's on and it's quick. It happens quickly, someone will flog someone or someone occasionally will stab someone or hit someone with a rock or something, but there's not gangs that get around and like bash people all the time. It's just not like that. They've got gangs of, the Asians are a gang, for example, and they don't, they're not violent, but they control everything. So the Asians control all the food in the kitchen. The Asians control um, who works where and stuff like that. So they've got the pool with the officers. So you kind of have to, if they want something from you, you've got to go, yeah, all right. And what about in the men's prison? Obviously a different story altogether. Every man for himself. It's not, not real gangs. Yeah. Yeah. But people come in, same people come in, they've got beefs with other people, they'll sort it out and that's it. Like, did you feel safe in jail? Yeah. 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 Because I did, did a few years and I sort of, I knew the right people, I guess. I met the right people and was good mates with a lot, a lot of people. So, so, so maybe just, just Stacey, so there's only the one women's prison pretty much or two. So um, you would have it be mixed up a lot more than it would be in the men's prison system with the 13 odd prisons in, in Victoria. So you got a guy who's, a woman, I should say, who's, who's sentenced to jail for killing her children, for example. I'm just making that up. Um, how is that person physically separated from the... Because I'd say that a lot of women would want to hurt that woman. Oh, there's a whole unit for that. So they go to another unit, the protection unit, and that's a smaller area of the prison. Um, and people are in there for all kinds of things. So you do have people who killed their kids. You've got people who are sexual abusers of children. Um, and then you've got people who've just done the wrong thing in the mainstream and have to go over there for their own protection. Um, or they feel like they have to go over there for their own protection. Sometimes it's someone who's affiliated. So, you know, the, the bikey gangs, it could be a, a missus or something who's coming in and they know there's other ones in yeah, there. That's a fuck with her, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they move them off um, yeah. just for the good order of the prison. 
Um, and then those people have to be in unit with child killers. Yeah. And that's the shit thing about that. So when you were in jail, because the men's prison, like those type of people would be put into their own, totally, probably their own jail. Yeah, it is. Is that, that how it works? Ararat, it's where all the dogs are. Yeah. So in your prison, yeah. everyone who went in there would have been sort of like for a mainstream offence, if we're going to use that No, term. well, that's the thing. You get people trying to sneak into mainstream that have done crimes that they don't want anyone to know about, and you either see them on the news or someone sees their brief of evidence or something, and they're taken out pretty quickly. Yeah, I can imagine. But they're all... There's, uh, I think there's a few. Every, every, most prisons has a, a boneyard or a protection unit that all the dogs go to, or there's one centralised pound, which is in Ararat where all the everyone goes. The police, everyone. We pirates. say send her to the boner. That's, yeah. what, that's what you say when someone has really fucked so up. So the boner being the boneyard. Yeah, the boneyard, yeah, the, boneyard, yeah, yeah. the dog, the yeah. dog pen. So if someone's really fucked up and they've lagged someone, for example, like there's. Anything else is acceptable in prison except lagging on someone. And it could be as stupid as lagging on someone for stealing or it could, like anything. If you open your mouth... Construction industry, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's... Me and Ben working. Straight away, those people have to go, go to the boner. And it's not even because of violence. It's because they will just be absolutely torn apart psychologically in the women's... Women are just are absolutely feral. They are. <laughs> people can go years, like years into their sentence and then someone will come to prison that knows them from the outside and knows that that person lagged or made a statement and all of a sudden they're gone. Long memories. 100%. So how do the guards use rewards to control <sighs> prisoners? So, you know, I don't know. Can they do that? There's, no, there's, no, that? there's no rewards. It's just uh, the fear of loss. They can take shit away from you. Yeah, they take what, it. What, what can they take away? Little TV, little, little things that you have. Your TV, like... Move you out of a good unit, but they know you're comfortable. They're pissed, pissed off at you. They'll go through your cell and just turn it upside down. So if you ever out a prison warden and you tell him he's fucking whatever, whatever, yeah. how can they get back at you? Just, just talk us through it. I like, send you the slot. Send you the, the um, slot for... What's the slot? Isolation. Oh, it's just... Your own cell, just shitty, shitty... So, so... Shitty place. Some people out there might think, you know, I prefer isolation than, than sitting in jail with another crim. Just talk them through why isolation is as bad as what you've just said it is. Well, when, your mind. when you're in prison, you're already thinking about enough what's going on in the outside world and isolation in prison is 100 times worse than out here in, in the open, you know. It's and you're in four a two, walls, yeah. two by four meter, probably Dude, the biggest. Putrid cell, putrid. a mattress that someone else has slept on for the last 10 years. and No TV or anything like no that. No yeah. In the slot, you get nothing. No, nothing. And How many hours are you in it? Oh, for, forever. You're in there for 23 hours a day. You're supposed to get one hour a day of airing, but that doesn't happen in the women's. They don't have enough staff to, to escort every woman out. Depends what you've done. If, if you get in a fight or it can be anywhere from a few days to a few months to a year. I knew girls who were in long-term slot, so a year for something ridiculous, and they were never the same again, ever, ever. They were completely torn apart mentally, physically. No watch, um, you know, no time. Nothing. Vitamin D, iron deficient. They come out white as a ghost, dark rings under their eyes. Um, you're not allowed sanitary products in the slot either. So you see the girls out in the airing yard just bleeding down their legs. My it's God. absolutely abhorrent. Like, it's a violation of human rights. Absolutely. What's the longest time you've ever heard of anyone being in the slot? Sarah Cheney was in for nine years and she killed herself in the slot. I met her when I was there. With no sanitary products for nine years? Yep, nine years. I mean, that's only probably the you least of her problems. But that's... They took everything away from her because she, w she just wanted to die because she'd been in there for so long. In the end, they'd, she'd been good enough for long enough to get a little clock radio with a tiny little cord on it. And she had pulled the cord out of the wall and stabbed it in her arm and pulled all the veins out. And that's how she killed herself in the end. Jesus Christ. She was that desperate to die. 
And is it the same in the men's prison? Like the have you seen, heard of anyone being in that for a long for period years, of time? For years, yeah, years. Yeah. And some people are full time now, like, yeah. So, <clears throat> drugs are illegal. We've got a war on drugs. Um, I think it's two thirds of male prisoners when they're arrested have been under the influence. And three quarters of women prisoners, not you personally, but three quarters of women prisoners have been under the influence of drugs. And um, many of our jails are packed full of people who are drug affected crime. Either they've, they've, you know, they've been under the influence and they've crashed a car or they've robbed somebody, they've robbed somebody to get, the, you know, get money for drugs and so on. Do you think that if we looked at drugs in a different way, that that would help empty out prisons? Like, see it as a health and safety issue? A health issue instead health of a issue. criminal issue, yeah, 100%. Like they do in Portugal. Decriminalised, decriminalised drugs in Portugal and treating it like a health issue. People who are found drug affected on the street are actually given assistance um, and clean implements and stuff like that, and then given you know a number of someone to call tomorrow go and sort yourself out. It's encouraged, and their recidivism rate is so low because the of crime that. Rate, the crime their rate. Their crime rate is so low. Their addiction rate is becoming lower because people are actually getting help. You don't get help in prison. You do not get help. Just down the road here in North Richmond Centre, the ice and heroin industry in Melbourne and people, it's just like an industry. They just go down, they rob somebody, they shoot up, they, they buy, they shoot up, they get arrested, they come back out again. And it's like an industry. It's almost like, um, like politicians and, and the police and the prison system want to keep it going because they're making money out of it. I don't know, but I mean, um, it just seems to me that we need to look at all, all the new way. prisons being built to, just to house the prisoners, big money. Transportation yeah. of prisoners, big money. Everything, everything to do with prisoners is huge money. And they're not just drug affected either. You've got more than half of the population are mentally ill people. And I'm talking- The prison quite, population. Yeah. They're treated the same as someone on drugs. Quiet or... brain injuries. You know, there's so many people who are autistic and on the spectrum in, in some way. Um, you know, you've got really mentally vulnerable people who are just treated and sentenced like they knew what they were doing. How do you deal with people like that? I mean, are they sort of, Treated differently by other prisoners. They're treated exactly the same as everybody else. Some, some you stay away from because you know they're just batshit. They could just flip. And a lot of them do. Because there's no help in there. Like they, they'll they come need in to be in hospital. Oh, absolutely. Just have medical support. And you'll support. see a few walking yeah. around the yard and you just know they're not right. They're talking to themselves like they're just trying to pick fights. The officers let them go and then all of a sudden they'll go and stab someone or go and do something and you just feel sorry for them because they shouldn't have been put in that position to start with. The recidivism rate in Victoria, the number of people who go back to jail, is 50% over two years. Like after every, you know, half the prisoners got back after two years of being released. What do you think is the reason for that? So many things. I know being a woman, you lose everything when you walk in those gates, absolutely everything. You've lost your accommodation, you've lost your family, you've lost your children, you've lost your job, you've lost your income, you've lost everything. And when you go out, once you've served your time and, and you know, paid your debt to society, as they would say, they don't hand that shit back to you at the gate. They just send you on your way. And if you don't have parole or, or a uh, community bag. corrections <laughs> order, you've got nothing. You walk out those gates with nothing, except, you know, a half a Centrelink payment because they'll give you half a payment as a crisis. So you get 250 bucks from Centrelink in your account. And a record, which on makes your it way. hard to do anything. You've got no accommodation unless you've got good family support because <laughs> there's just not enough housing to go around. And the people who are on parole and absolutely need it get the housing. So if you're on a straight release, you're fucked. Basically, you've got no, you've got nothing. People don't have a family support network anyway. That's how they've ended up in that situation in the first place. They've come from a bad background. They've come from bad families. They just, they don't know another way out. 
they get inside for a while and think, yeah, I want to change my life. I really want to. And I see it. I see the determination and I see you believe them when they're looking you in the face and going, I want to get my kids back for the first time ever. I want to sort myself out. They get outside standing there cold and alone with nowhere to go, not even a bus ticket. And the only number they know off the top of their head is their dealer. That's who you're going to call, the person whose door is always open for you because you know what's a cold, hard street out there. That's why people keep coming back. There is not enough post-release support. What do you think? Same, but even on parole, like I've got, a, I've got a big, big parole period. They just make it hard to do anything. Like when you get out, like you've done your time, but parole, they just they hold it over you. Like anything, if I do anything wrong, I've got three years, three and a half years parole. If I go three years, four months, finish, and I fuck up in that last one month, I'll go back to prison for three and a half years and do a whole parole period. So there's like, and now I'm doing better than I ever did before. Before I got locked up, I've got a job, I work hard, I've got a nice place, I'm, do, I'm doing everything right, and it's still like I'm doing things wrong. Like, if I fucked up more on parole, I'd get more benefits than what I, I'm getting now that I'm doing everything right. Like, it's very, very hard. And a lot of people do go back to prison for drugs. Like, if they're a heroin addict or, or someone that doesn't have anything on the outside, they'll go back and they'll get on the methadone program or the butte program, and they've got a better in prison than what they've got outside. Like, they're bums, but they've got it better. Like, when they get out, there's no support for them. There's no... They feel safer or they feel more comfortable in prison. It's, it's, it's very... Uh, it's easy to breach parole, too. Yeah. The amount of girls I saw... Make it so you breach it. Like, yeah. If you... Just for example, there was one girl who was living in a share house and her people in the next room to her got into an argument, the police were called. Because the emergency services were called to her address, she got parole breach. Because that accommodation is then seen as unstable. So she has no accommodation, back to jail. So the police turn up, ask who's in the house, oh, you're on parole, straight back to jail that day. So for something that could not even possibly be your own fault, because it's the only place you can afford to live, for example, or, you know, or for anything, if you even just look at a police officer the, the wrong way. A lot of these girls, they're known. The minute the cops look at them, they know who they are. And they pick them up for, you know, thinking about stealing a Mars bar. So they throw them straight back in jail. It's so easy to breach parole. Ben, you said a minute ago that they, they <coughs> want you to breach it. What did you mean by that? Almost. They make it so hard for you to walk that line that they want you to walk. Any little thing, like, was just said, they, I'll just breach you for it. Like, there's no, there's no in-between or no... You know, it's same as CCOs, correctional service orders. Like they make them just for people to breach them. They make it so impossible for you to do the right thing that, you know, as I said, I'm working full time. I'm doing everything right, but every week it's like I'm doing something wrong. Like <clears throat> you, you and I work for a construction company, and um, yeah. that has a policy of picking up a number of um, of ex prisoners, yeah. get a job, you earn money, you integrate with people who haven't been in the prison system. It seems like we've got the whole thing that our sways around. Do you know what I mean? Maybe we should have done that first. Best company in Australia. As, yeah. as you said, he employs people who come out of prison. He's the only company that I know that'll give prisoners a start. And but a if good, society and a, and did a really that, good, if, you know, if we gave people, <clears throat> yeah. you know, a job, earning a bit of money. And the guys, that, the guys that work for him, they actually break their balls for him because he actually looks after them. Like he gives them the benefit of the doubt, helps them out, does anything for them. The only person that I know would ever do that this company. Do you think that you're, like, it's a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think your life, how, how's your life, do you think it's changed for better or worse? Did you get anything good out of it? Did you learn anything about yourself, about human beings? Yeah, um, Obviously, there's a lot of shit that came out of it, but yeah. how oh, have you look, changed? I had to start again from the ground up. 
with nowhere to go and two kids. So for me, it was... Did you have a partner before you went in? Yeah. And who left you <laughs> during the course of the thing? Oh, no, that was another situation. It wasn't a good relationship. Okay. Um, I realised that once I was in and I met a girl who was in for the same, same relationship, abusive relationship. Her partner tried to kill her one night and she managed to get the knife off him and stabbed him and then she ended up in jail for murder. So I realised when I met her that could have been me. The amount of times I'd fought for my life against him and I could have grabbed something and hit him with it and killed him by accident. You know, that could have been me. in jail. Yeah. I could still be in jail. Um, but no, unfortunately, I tried to leave him before that and he actually dobbed me in for the crime that I committed. That's how I ended up in jail. Um, so that, that's a fun story. <laughs> um, so yeah, when I went in, my relationship was over. Um, my kids got separated. Um, one went to live with his biological father and the other one was couch surfing. He was a teenager. Um, yeah, I lost a lot of friends, a lot of fa actual family, blood family, who said, I can't have anything to do with someone who's been in prison. Um, so I basically, I walked out knowing three people in the world who still loved me and wanted to have anything to do with me. Um, and I started from the ground up. I had a great friend who gave me somewhere to stay. She said, come and live with me and my family for as long as you need to. Um, and day two of being out, I was on the interview circuit straight away, getting, getting my foot in the door, getting a job. It was a absolutely whirlwind. My head was spinning. I wasn't ready for it, but I knew what I had to do to get back on my feet. And three weeks later, I had a job. A month after that, I had my own place, then got my kids back with me. And so it's kind of, you know, I've they built must up. They be so proud of you. I mean, you sound, come across as a really strong person. I Mentally, know now. That's what know, prison like... gave me. I understand now that nothing will kill me. Nothing. Unless I want it to. Nothing will take me down. Nothing will bring me to my knees in a way that I will go, oh, this is the end for me. I can't dig my way out. I could dig my way out of anything and I'm so 100% adamant and know my own, my own strength now because I've been through hell and I survived it. And you know what, it didn't kill me. And what's your relationship with your kids like now? Oh, beautiful. My oldest son is so proud of me, um, especially, but it's given him a different appreciation. So he was a naughty teenager. He was a little bit, he dabbled in drugs and he's you know, done a few stupid things. He has now gone back to school, um, finished year 12, going to uni, he's going to be a vet. He won't do anything wrong. He's a big advocate for his friends, you know, all over Facebook telling him, you don't need to smoke ice, you don't need to do this. Like, it turned him around too because of the stories I would tell him. He'd come in and visit me and I'd go, this girl's in for this, this girl's in for this, you know. It's so easy to go to prison. You could be, smoke some ice with your friends and then get in your car, think you're all right and kill someone and then you're in jail for 10 years. So. The realisation for a, a teenager of seeing that how easy it is to go to jail can really help them as well. You're an amazing person. That's just... Like, I'm, I can imagine your kids must be very proud of you. you know? Yeah, it took a toll on them. Like, don't get me wrong, they suffered in that two and a half years that I was gone. They went through hell themselves. So it's something I will have to bear with. That's my cross to bear. That's something that when I'm awake at three o'clock in the morning, that's keeping me awake is the guilt and the shame and, and the hurt that I caused on them. So, you know, that's, I have to carry that for the rest of my life and that's just, that's my cross to bear. But as, in terms of feeling guilty for what I did and what put me there, I've served, more than served my punishment now. I won't let anyone, even family, have the upper hand on me and say, oh, but you went to jail, fuck you. I, I have suffered because of that, so, you know what? Hi, Stacey. Yeah. What about you? How have you changed since the, the, the Ben before and the Ben after jail? A lot. Yeah, because I uh, had a lot of, lot of years to think about 
everything, life. And because I went into prison a little bit later, later on in life too, um, I'd lived life and done everything. And obviously what I was doing before, I could do anything I wanted to do. So I'd done a lot of things and in prison takes everything away from you. Yeah. And you, you come out uh, with a psychology degree and pretty much every, every other degree, just mentally, you, you learn a lot about yourself, a lot about other people, compassion. Um, and probably the bad side of people too, like you, you're a lot more aware and um, you just realise that humans are pretty, pretty shitty people. Yeah. yeah I noticed the other day the way you folded up your, uh, your traffic vest, that you're a little bit OCD. Do you, do you think that the, the prison <clears throat> highlighted that a, a bit more or, or you know, underlined that a bit? Or? Um, no, before I had all that. But yeah. it helped in prison, definitely. Yeah. Because uh, in prison you get very little things and if everything's always nice and neat and clean and you look after things, they go a lot, lot further, you know, like you appreciate So anyone watching the show tonight who thinks that's up for, you know, it's trial and maybe thinking that they might have to go to jail, what would you advise them the best way to prepare for that? Just, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one. Like, just mentally prepare yourself to go to prison. If, if you don't think you're going to go, just always have in the back of the mind that you might go and that was my problem like I didn't think I was going to go so I wasn't 100% prepared but just always have in the back of your mind you go in and just organize organize yourself before you go in like plan things and set things in place that when you go you're a little bit less stressed like because I got arrested straight on the spot and I didn't get bail and like I was on the spot so I lost everything like I didn't have time to organize things storage units my apartment my car like all that kind of stuff that's a big stress when you're in prison so anyone that's looking at going or going through trial or anything, get all that organised first. Because when you go to prison, you don't want a million things going through your head and trying to organise things in prison because it just won't happen. So the more you do before you go, you're going to have a little bit more peace of mind when you go. Like It's a lot less stress, stressful and uh, just little things like that. That's all I can, I can so say. So without trying to be like a moralist or anything, <clears throat> like to kids out there who are playing up a bit, right? You guys have been through the system. What would you be your message to them, you know? Um, after your experience in jail, do you know what I mean? Um, people maybe dealing their boss, up, you know, or, or, or getting involved in whatever industry that they shouldn't be getting involved in. What would you, what would you say to those kids? Like say a 19 year old kid out there who's fucking up at the moment and potentially could be heading for jail in the next couple of years. Nothing's worth it. It's hard because coming from the background that I had, I had a lot to lose, like a lot to lose. I, you know, owned a house and, you know, I had an established career and all that kind of stuff. So it was, I had a lot to lose. It's different for people who don't, sometimes jail is a savior for them or they feel like it is. They've got nowhere else to go, they're on the street. But still nothing is worth being in that system, in that merry-go-round of that system because you, you're treated subhuman. You're not even seen as a human being, you're a CRN. You identify- What does that sound for? A criminal reference number. You identify yourself as a six digit number and that's all you are you're another bare bum in the shower and that it's not worth losing your self-worth and your self, any self-esteem that you have to be put in a situation where you're treated like you're just a piece of shit because that's the way you're going to be treated, especially by the officers. You're nothing but a piece of shit to them. And um, it's just, it's not worth it because it's really hard to get out of unless you've got, unless you're super strong or you've got money behind you or you've got a great family there waiting for you when you get out, it is so hard to claw your way back out of that hole. If you were, could talk back to yourself when you were 18, say, what would you say now after this experience? <clears throat> Don't go to prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you lose everything and you lose, your biggest thing is your freedom. 
like every day you just think about little things like going to the supermarket or going to a park or ringing someone on your phone or just little things that we take for granted every day prison takes it all away strips you and you, you won't be the same in, in victoria <clears throat> as i said at the, at the start of the show the rate of incarceration is three and a half times higher than it was in the 70s we've got eight thousand people in jail now and there's more and more prisons as ben said being built if you were the minister for justice if you were the premier of victoria how would you if at all change the prison system i mean um by way of for example the way we treat people who are on drugs um, the way the prisons are run, like if you, if you like with a magic wand, had that power, what, what, what type of reforms would you like to see in Victoria? The main thing is people don't have connection to community anymore. And that's why people commit crimes. They see it's an us and them situation. So the state or the government or the, the country has created a, a very divided state of affairs. So you've got your haves and your have nots. And your have nots have always been a have not. And they feel like, Oh, I, I'm entitled to this, I'm entitled to do this, or they just don't care. And there's no sense of community. So I know from being in and talking to girls who are in, you know, you don't want them to be your neighbours if, if you're going to treat them like they're subclass humans because they will look at you and go, I'm going to rob your house when you go home or when you go out, when you go to work, I'm going to rob your house because there's no connection to those people. They see you as, oh, you're just a rich cunt who's got a nice car, I can rob you because they don't have, there's no personability. There's no one to just go, you know what, you're part of this community. So if I had a magic wand, I'd make sure that everybody had some connection to community in some way. So the, the have nots and the haves is a, a less of a gap between that. So make sure everyone has a decent education. Make sure the kids are off the streets. Make sure that people feel like they've at least got somebody who loves and cares for them in one way or another. And you know, that drugs are a health issue. Addiction is a massive health issue. And it's not just a case of, oh, you're a piece of shit criminal because you're addicted to drugs. Drugs are addictive. And if you've got some kind of a weakness or some kind of mental illness inside of you, those drugs make you feel like a better person. That's why they get addicted to them. If you can take that away, if you can build up someone's self-esteem and self-worth to a higher level than what the drugs do, you've, you've won the battle. And prison doesn't do that. No. It takes it all away. So you've, you've gone up and then you've come back down and prison just takes it all away again. So you come out, a lot of people come out worse than what, what they went in more addicted to drugs or, or less, they think less about themselves and what they did when they went to prison. It's just a vicious circle for a lot of people. And what I want to say to community members, not people who are facing prison or not people who've been in prison, but the people who look at prisoners and look at criminals as this, you know, less of a human to them, just think today's criminals are tomorrow's neighbours. Those people will be your neighbours at some point. So be careful how you treat people because how you treat them now will determine how they treat you when they get out and they're living next door to you. God, I'd say this is the seventh episode of Love and Pouring. This has by far been my favourite and I've learned so much from you too and I really hope the viewers have too. Thank you so much, Stacey and Ben, for coming to this okay. show.